be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music, including this morning's lovely Lenten offertory anthem, Lo, the Full Final Sacrifice, are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. My name is Robert Allen Hill, and as the Dean of Marsh Chapel, I encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. During Lent 2010, we are happily hosting a series of sermons on the theme of the atonement offered by our Boston University chaplains. Their messages will be recapitulated during the Good Friday service, a 50-year tradition here, on April 2nd. During this academic year, Marsh Chapel has sought to optimize our administration and oversight of religious life at Boston University in several ways, including by improving communication and coordination through the office of the chapel director and by filling openings in our roster of university chaplains, a team of eight now finally and, and finally full. This past Wednesday, we honored and celebrated the 40 years of ministry at Boston University of Rabbi Joseph Pollock, director of our Hillel House, with a Religious Life Council gathering and party. And here at Marsh Chapel, the 2010 University Chaplain's Lenten Series is an outcome, reflection, and celebration of our more latent year-long work in religious life. Today, on our fifth and last Sunday in the series, we are proud and pleased to welcome our University Episcopal Chaplain, Father Joshua Thomas. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, the Kyrie sung for us is meant to evoke peace and pardon, to refresh and renew our minds. The Kyrie lifted among us is meant to evoke peace and pardon, to restore us and reclothe our souls. Friday evening, this chapel was full of 20-year-olds reciting their poetry, renewing the language of the heart. We seek that renewal today. Saturday afternoon, our chapel lawn, the Boston University Beach, was full of 20-year-olds, enjoying a moment of sunlight, reclothing the self in health. We, too, seek new raiment today. Let us offer in these moments our silent individual and collective confessions. May we pray.
But for the grace of God, we would not be. And but for the grace of God, we could not love. And but for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please join me in singing words from Psalm 126 with the antiphon. who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come on with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves.
Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Glory, Glory to you, Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we approach the end of this Lenten series on atonement, I can't help but wonder whether our centuries of elaborate theories on which the whole Church has never agreed don't point to a more basic hesitation to believe the fundamental claim that we have indeed been reconciled with God. That somehow through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, whatever barrier may have existed between us and the Holy One has been definitively torn down. We puzzle at the possibility and ask with Charles Wesley's hymn, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. 
Amazing love, how can it be? How indeed can it be, we wonder, probing the mechanisms by which Jesus might bring humankind into union with God? But we miss the point altogether if we forget to marvel at that union itself, at the reconciliation which exists and the connection which endures. It is this kind of wondering that Wesley invites in the next verse of that same hymn. Tis mystery all the immortal dies, who can explore his strange design? Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. A strange mystery indeed. Stranger still if we can imagine how unlike us God is sometimes most of all in the amazing extravagance of unconditional love. Can it be, atonement theories aside, that God might simply love us for no reason and with no reservations, through a strange mystery that boggles our minds as much as the psalmist's proclamation of rivers in the desert? Can it be that we are saved by love? Full stop. We know that we go to great lengths to separate ourselves from God, wandering down alluring paths, chasing after elusive riches, settling for other not-so-amazing loves, and fearing that we might not be worth anything more. Can it be that we have set the caveats on salvation, conditions for communion, prerequisites for admission into God's family? God will save us if we accept Jesus, if the Father's wrath is assuaged, if his honor is preserved, if his justice is maintained, if the God-man dies, if the perfect sacrifice is offered, if the invitation is received, if, if, if. Can it be, though, that God is not an amplification of ourselves, not a mirror of our if-modified loves, our if-restrained loyalties? Can it be that for no reason but love itself, the very God of the universe is alive in every human soul and pulsing through creation? Can it be that the one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, Isaiah says, is perfectly capable of finding a way into the hearts of you and me? Can it be that the psalmist was right in wondering, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Can it be that he was right, too, in answering this way, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Can it be that Paul was also right when he said that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Can it be that the image of God within us and the spirit of God beyond us conspire in a saving unity that draws us more and more into the life of the Holy One? 
Can it be that the union with God which our souls seek is found when explanation ceases and contemplation begins? This is where we find ourselves in today's gospel, with a mind-boggling act by Mary of Bethany. Jesus visits his friends, Martha, Mary, and the recently raised from the dead Lazarus, for a dinner party at their home, a couple of miles outside Jerusalem. Martha is, of course, busy getting the food ready, and Lazarus is at table, perhaps talking with some of the disciples when Mary makes her way to the feet of Jesus and anoints them with a pound of an expensive, fragrant ointment of pure nard. She lingers there, wiping these well-walked feet with her very own hair. This provocatively intimate moment between two friends caught the eye of Judas, who objected to the wastefulness of her behavior. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? A noble question, perhaps, since this sum might be as much as a whole year's pay. But the jousting of explanations that comes next reveals something more is afoot, with the gospel writer questioning the motives of the soon-to-be betrayer, and with Jesus snapping back, leave her alone and reminding everyone about the death he saw coming. The poor you will always have with you, he says, but you will not always have me. Mary has discerned what the others did not. The tides were turning. Christ's body was breaking. This was no moment for ordinary reasoning, but for irrationally extravagant love. Perhaps she could hear the crack in Jesus' voice, see a weariness of step, a furrowed brow or an empty stare that betrayed an inner ferment as he gathered up the power to face what would lie ahead. Perhaps she knew that something was wrong, that he now needed a blessing. She comes near to him with that same perceptively healing gentleness that he showed to so many others to the woman at the well, the blind ones in Jericho, the paralytic at Bethsaida, the lepers on the road, and even wee little Zacchaeus up in his tree, even the perpetually not-too-bright disciples, even maybe you and me. But now his feet are the object of mercy, others taking on his healing work. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Words we will sing in a few minutes' time, marking this new moment in the life of Jesus, a moment of mingled emotion and shifting roles. Yes, Jesus still will kneel and wash the feet of his friends, but as he does, we are transformed more and more into that body of Christ. Judas misses the meaning, misses the connection between friends partaking in each other's love, and falls into the familiar temptation to make everything about money. A commodification of both the poor and the nard, reducing the fruits of the earth, the loving work of human hands, and the dignity of God's people into charity and cash, 
exchangeable, transferable, without the intimate investment Mary shows. Judas misses the fact that when we really love someone, we do all kinds of crazy things whose economics may be questionable. A pound of nard, an only begotten son, perhaps. And even if his desire is pure, Judas misses the one thing that is right before his eyes. Like him, we love big ideas, sensible plans, well-ordered syllabi, and practical strategies with quantifiable benchmarks of success. And these, like caring for the poor, are good, good things. But we can become lost in them and wander from the God who is staring us in the face. Wander far enough that it takes an irrationally prophetic acting out, an undeniably extravagant expression of love to catch our attention again. We can be tempted to believe the lie that we're somehow missing out on life if we're not stressed out, sleep-deprived, overworked, hyper-caffeinated, perpetually entertained, and well on our way to making a fortune and or changing the world, preferably with a hefty dose of community activities, a better-than-average partner, and a house and cute dog for an added bonus. Mary tells us to stop. Stop, stop, and see what is in front of you. See, like she saw Jesus. Yes, the healing of the world is urgent, but to do that God's way, we need to learn to focus on the one thing. If we are to avoid making even the work of Christ into a project with a price tag, we need to practice an intense, attentive, extravagant love for the one who is already before us, the roommate, the partner, the colleague, the familiar stranger on the street, the lonely neighbor down the hall. When we do this, then we might be able to approach with dignity a wider suffering. Maybe like me, you are juggling jobs to make ends meet, trying hard to just get by, and this is all sounding a little too mystical. But in these last days of Lent, I pray that we will give ourselves the gift of some small place to focus a bottle of nards worth of time. Maybe call your mom. Speak a word of truth, however painful. Have a cup of tea with a potential new friend. Ask for something you desperately need. Forgive a festering hurt. Walk in this new-found spring weather for no reason other than to spend time with the one who calls you by name. Imagine what an act of extravagant love for the one who is before your eyes might be. And whether your Lenten observance has been so far a paragon of perfection or a wilderness disaster, we have time still to practice Mary's style of love. And Holy Week will bring even more ritual moments of irrational intimacy, to praise the one we hoped would change the world, to have our feet washed by our teacher, to weep at the foot of the cross, to run away in shame, and to marvel, speechless, at the one who is alive again. All this is coming, not to mention a mission to heal the world and a spirit to comfort and guide us. But for now, we have in Mary a precious moment with the vulnerable Jesus, one who longs for us, a moment to come near and manifest the unity we have with God by our love for another. 
Can it be that this love is in us too? That same amazing love which sought us out when we were far off, pulsing now through our veins? Can it be that Jesus has released a power in us? Yes, of course, though extravagant love looks to others like foolishness, like a waste, a naive, unrealistic choice. It makes sense, if you can call it that, only in the economy of God, only with the mind of Christ. And here is where my favorite atonement image might actually help a little, itself more a contemplation than an explanation. It's what the second-century theologian Irenaeus called recapitulation, that in Christ, God returns humanity to its true purpose, not simply taking away sin, but infusing creation with a renewal of its original holiness. It's a kind of cosmic do-over with a little extra help this time. At every moment of his life, Jesus shows us another way, offers us another choice, demonstrates that rejection of God and each other are not inevitable. It is, as Russian theologian Vladimir Losky says, the deification of created beings by uncreated grace. A true union with God, not an eradication of our selfhood nor a feeble acquaintance, but a sharing in the same energies of life, so that the love which was in Christ Jesus could also erupt in Mary's love for him and in our love for those God sends to us. Anglican theologian Lancelot Andrews put it this way, whereby as before he of ours, so now we of his are made partakers. Can it be? Can it be? How bold we might become if we really believed, if we trusted that Jesus has already pioneered this way of foolishly boundless love, that we don't have to be the first to risk awkwardness at a dinner party. Jesus and now Mary of Bethany go before us, along with the saints and sages of the generations, the cloud of witnesses whose lives were filled with God enough to overflow. Can it be that extravagant love is in us too, ready to be released when we but focus on the one before our eyes, and so more and more become partakers in the very God of the universe and this being redeemed world? Can we take our part in this strange mystery, an atonement in which God chooses us for no reason at all? And so we ask with John Donne, Wilt thou love God as he thee? Then digest, my soul, this wholesome meditation. How God the Spirit, by angels waited on in heaven, doth make his temple in thy breast. The Father, having begot a Son most blessed, and still begetting, for he ne'er begun, hath deigned to choose thee by adoption, co-heir it is glory and Sabbath endless rest. T'was much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man much more. Amazing love, how can it be?
We come to the time in our worship where we turn our hearts and minds to prayer. I would invite you to stand, kneel where you are, remain seated, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. and faith, let us make our prayer to the Father and ask for his mercy and grace. I will conclude each petition. Let us pray to the Lord. Please respond. Lord, have mercy. For the people of God, that they may triumph over evil and grow in grace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For candidates for baptism and confirmation, that they may live by every word that proceeds from your mouth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the leaders of the nations, that you will guide them in the ways of mercy and truth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the needy, that they may not be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick in body, mind, and spirit, that they may know your power to heal. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the poor in spirit, that they may inherit the kingdom of heaven and see you face to face. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Let us commend the world for which Christ suffered to the mercy and protection of God this day. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made, and forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may receive from you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Trusting in the compassion of God, as our Savior taught us, so we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Grace and peace to one and all, particularly we welcome those who may be among us for the first time. Take a moment, if you will, to join the congregation in the use of the red book that is on the aisle, the seat by the aisle, so that we may let one another know our names and so be able to greet one another in person following the service. We draw your attention to the Holy Week schedule placed both in our printed bulletin and on our website and encourage all in attendance for the coming uh, days uh, a week hence. We are grateful for the generous contributions that come from our listeners and are thankful for their support and encourage their further support in the days to come. Likewise, for the congregation present, we encourage your use of the Lily for Easter form that allows you for the second year, should you like, to honor and remember a loved one in the gift of an Easter lily. Our music today is particularly seasonal and exceptional, and I have asked our director of music, Dr. Jarrett, to say a word to you about it. Scott? In Gerald Finzi's short lifetime, he lived and endured what many would consider the darkest days of our history. That half of the 20th century which saw political division scar the globe in ways which still wound by their mention and memory. Lo, the full final sacrifice, written in the bleak years immediately following the Second World War, expresses in tenderest tones and terms that ultimate expression of atonement and redemption, the great mystery renewed in chancels throughout the world, weekly, daily, hourly, as oft as ye shall meet, the Eucharist, Holy Communion. We offer Finzi's remarkably touching festival anthem today as part of our musical Lenten observances. Now walk in love as Christ loved us, an offering and a sacrifice.
thank you, Lord, this day for your manifold blessings. In this season of Lent and beyond, may we, like Mary of Bethany, anoint the feet of your Son, Jesus, with our material and spiritual offerings. the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.